Here on the Appalachian Homestead, we're surrounded by ancient mountains. And if you listen carefully, you can still hear the ancestral wisdom echoing through their peaks and valleys. Welcome to the Appalachian Homestead podcast, season two, episode one. Season one only had two episodes. (laughs) (laughs) You knocked it out on that one. (laughs) So, (laughs) we're going to do better this year. I'm Shallon, and this is my husband, Mark, who's here with me. So, we're going to do three this year. We're going to do multiple episodes this year. We're going to do better, I promise. If you're here for a perfect podcast, Mm -hmm. you should just exit on out. We have puppy dogs with us in this room, and there will occasionally be sounds clicking paws on hardwood floors, dogs drinking water aggressively Mm. because they do that, (laughs) and other things that you don't expect to hear in a podcast. So this week on Instagram, I've received dozens of messages regarding a book that was produced by one Stacy Kranitz who is a photographer that came to Central Appalachia to create a book called As It Was Given to Me, in which she has, quote, broken the myth of Appalachia and reframed the image of Appalachia. Mark has not seen any of these photographs, so I'm going to show them and I want him to blind react. But first I want to read... A quote from Miss Kranitz. When questioned as to why she chose to depict us in this prejudicial way and to further the misrepresentation of Central Appalachia in the media, her statement was, there is no real Appalachia of... What other cultures... Has she been here? She has lived here for, I think it was like six or eight years in Tennessee taking these photographs. Now I'm going to show you some of these photographs. And they're quite bizarre. Can you describe the picture? Well, I mean, it's two ladies standing in a... Not a creek, but not quite a river either. I mean, they're fully dressed. One has jeans on and water's up to her knees and the other one's got a, you know, skirt and stuff on and they're just standing in the water. They don't, I don't know what's going on there, really. Do you routinely see people just fully clothed standing in the middle of rivers? Not unless they're, you know, having a baptism or something and I don't think that's what's going on there, but maybe. No, for certain, that is not a baptism. (laughs) Okay. Now, I want to show you another image. Well, you know, I have seen that here, but I'm sure it goes on everywhere. A gentleman, maybe not a gentleman at this time, a man throwing a chair at the front door of his trailer, uh, evidently in a rage about something. And uh, I doubt, wow, that's an interesting picture to To say, hey, look at these Appalachians. So, you said that you have seen people do this before, but you should... I was a deputy for 10 years. Right. That's yeah, what I, I wanted... have. <laughs> I wanted you to frame that with saying, yeah. do you see this in everyday life, or did you see this... As a deputy. As a deputy. Yeah, the second one. I, I don't think that I routinely see anything like that, and 
<laughs> Not that I don't think it. I know I've never seen why anything like that. Why would you like photograph that? that? Even if you caught that photograph by accident, why would you publish that for that poor man? He's evidently in crisis, and it is already a bad day. Why publicize that? Even if you went to him later and said, hey, will you sign this release? And I took a bunch of pictures. I don't know which one I'll use. I don't know if that's what did happen or didn't, but why would you, why would you capitalize on that man's crisis? That's all yes. I'm saying. Capitalizing on a crisis. And it seems that seems to be the theme all through these photographs. Hmm. Here is another. So, so we don't have a culture, but here it is anyway in pictures. Is that what's going on? That That's the most. Yeah, I was in awe when she said there was no Appalachian culture. But, because if there isn't, what did you come here to photograph? Yeah, what's this book about? Why am I buying your book? Right, and it's an expensive book. Okay, here is another image that's strange. Okay, there's a guy standing, I don't know, he's maybe by his house. There's a chain link fence, a child's little Jeep toy, a satellite dish. You don't see much of those anymore, but. He, all, he, all he's wearing is a long white T-shirt and maybe standing in socks and shoes. He may have short shorts on under there. I don't know. But is he in, what's he holding? You can zoom in on the picture. It looked to me to be a wallet. A wallet. And he has on sunglasses. Yeah, he says on sunglasses. I don't know. I mean. Have you ever seen men outside with only a T-shirt and shoes on? Well, if it's in late at night and none of the motion lights are turned on, you might see me like that sometimes with one of these dogs, but <laughs> not in broad daylight like in that picture. Well, I mean, that, and not in the front yard. Well, I mean, you don't know. Well, I mean, nobody can see anyway here, but okay. So to move on to some of her other photographs. So she just found people in crisis and said, hey, there's no Appalachian culture, but look at these poor losers. <laughs> Wow, I feel sorry for those two men I've just seen there. I do too. So, okay. And the ladies in the creek looked in a little distressed. Yeah, they all, all of these people seem to be in some sort of distress or crisis. And it's almost like she surprised them by snapping the picture. It's like, yeah. especially the girls in the creek, they were looking back like, hey, there's a lady at the camera. <laughs> what the crap is going right, on? We, you know, I'm sure she cleared it with them later, but they all looked a little like, what's this lady doing? Yeah, what's she doing in the well, street? What's she pointing her phone at me for? Okay, so also I would like to point out, I think the quality, the overall, just the quality, not just the subject matter, but the quality of the photography is very poor. I'll let you have that one. I'm, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect this to be a Monet or something. I mean, you framed it pretty well. She's trying to, to make disparage us Appalachians, and we live like, Seven or eight miles from the literal town of Appalachia, so that's kind of, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I want to show you this next picture, but I want to read you the caption to this first. In the third part of our series on harm reduction in Appalachia, we spend time with SOAR, Solutions-Oriented Addiction Response, in Charleston, West Virginia. The CDC deemed Charleston to have the most concerning HIV outbreak in the United States. But the city has made it nearly impossible for substance users to get syringes. The mayor has blamed syringe exchanges 
for everything from a rise in crime to declining city revenues while HIV transmission continues to rise. Okay, now I'm gonna show you these pictures. And I want to remind everybody, what do you do for a living, Mark? I work for a mental health nonprofit. In crisis intervention. Oh, yeah. And so you see persons in crisis due to addiction and other things, other mental health crises, frequently. As well as when I was a deputy. As well as when he was a deputy. Okay. Here's the first picture. Okay. Which I don't think is that bad. It's just a very emaciated couple who obviously are in bad shape. I just don't understand why she took these pictures. Right, I can't either. It seems like she's capitalizing on people and we're in a tough spot. And this this picture made me really angry. Okay. The lady's, uh, I don't know, she looks shocked by having her picture taken again, but she's showing her syringes. They are capped, thank goodness, I think. Um, maybe a little purse or something. I don't know. It looks like out in front of a house. Right, and why would you do that? I don't know. Kids capitalize on it, I suppose. She also took pictures of... Well, I mean... The homeless in Charleston. To I me, can understand a little bit of this. You need to let people know about it, but I feel sorry for the people I see in the pictures. I feel sorry for the people I see in the pictures, but I also, what I see here so far is poverty porn and addiction porn. Okay. So she's monetizing someone else's poverty and someone else's addiction. Yeah, that's what I said earlier, capitalizing. Yeah, and not only that, but these people are likely uncompensated. And mm. she's presenting these photographs as Appalachia in photos. Right, that's, that's the point I was gonna make. That this is the, these are just the average people from Appalachia, y'all. But it's not. <laughs> it, obviously not. Uh, what you've shown me is people who are suffering and uh, having a bad time right now. Every and had a bad time for a while. It looks like every image is one of poverty, addiction, homelessness. Let me ask you: Did she round this out by saying, "Please help" or? Something needs to be done. Here's some suggestions. Here's how you can help. Nothing. Or it was just like, look at these poor folks. Yes. Okay, these pictures were taken on Black Mountain, which is just right down in the town of Appalachia at the, the mountain above it. She's showing the mountain. Yeah, the mountaintop strip mining. I mean. And that is real. It's all real. That's real. But. There's a lot of land around here that you can tell that uh, that's not happened to. And it's never been touched. And some of the land that has been stripped has been successfully reclaimed. We live on stripped land. You never know it. You would know. Oak trees. You would never know that the land that we live on and own 
is former strip land, and the compound also is oh, yeah. former coal mine land. And your mamas had coal mines right behind it too, as well, oh, right? Yeah. The CC road went right up there. Oh yeah. I'm from a city, though. He's a city boy. There was almost four thousand people in that city. You could even walk around an actual block. We had street lights and everything. There were no street lights where I grew up. I know. <laughs> How do you like this electricity? <laughs> I like that electricity. <laughs> Did your grandma have, one of the pictures here is an outhouse. And I find that, I can identify with that. Because my neighbors had an outhouse all the way till I was in high school. Mamma had an outhouse till I was way up in elementary school. Our church had an outhouse until I was probably in high school. And it wasn't that they didn't have running water. It was that they didn't have a toilet. No. Big Mommy's, you better not have no toilet in the house. Why did Big Mommy not want a toilet in the house? Because it's nasty. That's right. You That's how she grew up from a baby till she was 90-some years old. It just wasn't done. You don't crap where you eat. No. And, you know, probably she probably had a one- or two-room house at times, and that was it. So literally, not like... I'm going to the other end of the house to the rest to the bathroom, honey. I'll be back in a little bit. It was literally she's cooking over there and right around that board there, dividing it. Somebody squatting. She wasn't having it. <laughs> right, right. And so the outhouses and that depiction of Appalachia, I will grant her that was. It's not today though. You don't see that often today at all. Oh Lord, no. It's not, no. At campgrounds, you see shower houses, which I guess... But they clean those out, or they have them going into some kind of septic. That ain't, you can't just have a hole in the ground no more. Right. <laughs> I just don't think that the images, even, you know, even though outhouses were a thing... Look at the comparable time when the outhouses were a thing here. Look at the sanitation in cities. Look at the sanitation... The sewers literally ran down the streets yes. and into the gutters in the streets where you walked. But, you know, them country bumpkins at the same period, they had outhouses. How, how, you know, they're, they're, they're pathetic. Backward. Yeah, they're backwards. They're backwards. But so while I can identify with the outhouse picture, that <laughs> isn't modern Appalachia. <laughs> you identify with the outhouse picture. That I sounds can. a little odd. I've used outhouses a lot in my lifetime. I'm sure you have. Did you never use an outhouse at all? I'm from the city, ma'am. Oh, so you pissed in the gutter? <laughs> Maybe that's how I know things. <laughs> that's how you know things, huh? So that was, I suppose what really disturbs me the most is that the imagery that she is presenting, there it's are... It's all negative. It's all negative. Are there bubbles of poverty? Of course. Of course. It's everywhere. This is a nation. Poverty is a nationwide problem. It's not an Appalachia problem. Is there addiction? Of course. And that's a nationwide problem. It's not an Appalachia only problem. Now, the other thing that she showed was a lot of um, Mountain Dew bottles, like just littered all over the place, and people with broken, broken, missing, and black tea i don't think i've even ever tasted mountain dew well i can't go that far but um you know why mountain dew's 
slogan or logo. Their commercials years ago on TV was of a hillbilly with a corncob pipe, one tooth, and a cow, you know, an old hillbilly hat on and his overalls. That was the logo. That was the character they, I can't think of it right now, that went with Mountain Dew. Right. It was, and it gave the, seemed like what I remember, that gave the old hillbilly a pep in his step, you know, and he was all happy all of a sudden. It wasn't, so, wasn't as lazy, but you know, he's country and hillbilly, so he's probably lazy. But he had a corncob pipe or a straw or, you know, a piece of hay or something. Mm. And that's exactly what you just described. She. I'm hmm. not old enough to remember that commercial. Yeah. I'm not. I believe I'm you. 39. How old are you? How old? Do you think I am? <laughs> Are you sixty? No. Are you forty? Yeah, pretty good that one. <laughs> or in your fifties. Something like that one. I don't remember that commercial. We also didn't have TV, so. Well, we had a TV, but you only had two channels, and you had to turn the antenna outside if you switch between them two channels sometimes. <laughs> well. Going back to something you said, it put a pep in his step mm-hmm. because hillbillies are lazy. Right, and that's what it, the commercial was. I'm sure we'll look it up later on on the tube, but it shows, I can remember him laying down. He's laying down. You know, when does a character in a commercial, they're laying down. They're always doing something. The, even the bears selling you toilet paper now, they're dancing and they're doing, they're doing something. This is an old hillbilly laying down. He's too lazy to move. And so he drank the Mountain Dew and he got a pep in his step from the caffeine. Yeah. What do you think? Just So that's just another prime example. Overall, the imagery of Appalachia in the mainstream is of poverty, laziness, toothlessness, drug addicted. Uneducated. Uneducated. Backwoods. Backwoods illiterate. Um, all of those things. Do you think that that fits the actual image of Appalachia? Of course not. But if I go down to, you know, the dollar store down here, I can probably wait around five or ten minutes and find somebody who might fit that. But there's been 10 or 15 other normal, decent folks in and out, too. Right. I don't think you could even find it in 15 or 20 minutes. I feel like most, most people now are literate. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, you you might be able to find somebody who comes in who is an alcoholic or somebody who comes in who may be using drugs. But you're not going to find somebody who fits all of those. No, no. And you may see somebody who's relatively poor. Now, one of the images of Appalachia that really kind of sticks out to me and it brings me in my mind to the opening of, is it Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Where they have the house, and the house has the roof, the hole in the roof, and it's mm-hmm. snowing into the house. Yeah. That's not a common scene. You would have to go out and... No. See, no. You, you would have to go out and seek that out. Are there places that way? I don't know if people really living in them. No. Maybe a homeless person's found it temporarily. Right. And we don't even have a huge population of homeless. No. What is your thought on why people don't have to live that way here? Family. Right. And people, other resources. Right. So that was one of the things that I was going to talk about is the imagery that is presented versus the actual 
overarching themes of Appalachian culture. Family, to me, is the number one. What about you? Yeah, that's it. And community after family. Yeah. But, but before we go on, let's stick, stick with this family thing, and I want to go back to Charlie and Chocolate Factory. Has anybody ever asked why Uncle Joe couldn't get out of that bed and do nothing, but he gets a ticket to a chocolate factory and he's up dancing? <laughs> that don't seem right to me. <laughs> I just had to say something. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, I want to go back a second to the theme of the lazy Appalachian. Do you see that? Do you see lazy Appalachians? I'm sure they exist, but as an over, no, overall. No, even the people who... <laughs> Even the people who I had to deal with as a deputy, they weren't lazy. They could get up. They did a lot of stuff. <laughs> they, you know, it might be in different areas of the night and places they shouldn't have been doing the wrong stuff. But uh, I guess they had some Mountain Dew. Put a little pep in their step. Yep. <laughs> I don't say, speak no bad about Mountain Dew. I do like me a diet Mountain Dew. So. Not me. I don't drink. In full disclaimer. <laughs> I don't drink Mountain Dew. I've never... Oh, God, no. You could not have a Mountain Dew. No. No. (laughs) I can't do caffeine at all. No. But I also don't think that I personally don't know... Think about our families. Think about even just people that we know out in the community. Do you know any lazy Appalachians? I cannot sit here and say I don't know some lazy people. But to say I know some lazy Appalachians, I mean... Well, I can't even think... I know some lazy people. I, I think don't it, necessarily even know lazy people. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to name names. I know people who could do more than they are, but they would never fit the image that's portrayed of the lazy oh. Appalachian. No. no. Boy, this has been something. I thought this was supposed to be a fun podcast, you said. <laughs> Come on, honey. We'll do this. It'll be a blast. <laughs> Commander Bringdown over here. Well... I just had to address that. <laughs> so, to to close out this section, though. <laughs> Can't finish it. The overarching themes of Appalachia, I feel like, are family, community, faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're here and you live in this area and you are homeless, you won't be for long. Because there are so many resources. You know, our friend Mary Beth down at the, the Family, family Crisis Center. They offer places to live to anybody who has lost their place to live and your neighbors also if a home burns down or something happens and you lose your home there's always somebody willing to help seems that way seems that way i'm sure there's still people out there struggling though yes so that's to me the overarching themes though are family community faith and just a general love for one another and for our neighbors as a whole. And probably be a little swarping mad if they knew somebody's out there saying they don't have a culture and they're not a real people and you know, look at some pictures. I'll prove it to you. Just look. I uh, would I would <laughs> Don't go to the high school football game on a Friday night and start preaching this because there's gonna be some mad people. Right. And I would love to say that I'm not a person who would swerp with somebody, but I think we oh all my God. <laughs> we all know that that's not true. <laughs> but I would love for somebody to say something like that face-to-face with me. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I got bail money. <laughs> you got bail money. 
I'll sell one of these puppies. <laughs> no, you can't sell puppy. Poor brown bear. She's done went belly up. Yeah, this is done. She's like, this is done. Been too serious, mommy. <laughs> Look at that. Okay, let's move on <laughs> to some of the funny things that I've seen on Instagram in the last week or so. Speaking of Instagram, did you know that we're on a 90-day probation? Did I know? Uh -huh. Oh, yes. I've been checking out the metrics on the quarter. <laughs> yes. That's not what I expected you to say. What are you talking about, anyway? So, somebody asked if we celebrate old Christmas. And I said, oh, yeah, we celebrate old Christmas and New Year's and Y'all better not be found sweeping, mopping, doing laundry, cleaning, etc. on New Year's or old Christmas, or I'll whip your tail. And immediately got a 90-day demonetization and 90-day, you're in trouble in timeout. And instantly, our reach plummeted from millions and millions per week to a reach of like, 30,000 a week and our net our net gains for followers are now net losses. We've lost 1200 followers because we celebrate holidays on different dates than somebody else's does. I don't understand. No, it was that W word. What? That W word. What are you talking about? That whip your tail word. I was inciting violence. What? Huh. Isn't that something? <laughs> Inciting violence. And I put laughy faces. I asked for a review. And I got a thing back that said that I was against community guidelines and that I was inciting violence. Well. So the bots hate us now. And we're in timeout. Hmm. How do you plan to spend your 90 days of timeout? Just like I would have spent if I didn't know about it, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I'm still going to show up. I'm probably going to post more than I ever have. I don't know. Nothing about it. Okay. Speaking of Instagram, are you ready? Hey. Are you ready? I'm going to show you a video, and I'm going to let our audience listen to it. Because it's something that, as soon as I saw it, I thought of you. Thought of me? I thought of you. Oh, great. I thought of you instantly. Is it a project? I need, do I need to go get the cordless drill and a couple hammers? Mm, no, it's not a project. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it's it. It's not another animal, is it? No. Here's how to make beef liver taste like candy. Because what? if you're not eating liver, you're missing out on one of the most nutrient-dense foods and a lot of health benefits. But I know it doesn't taste great, so try this. Take a carnivore crisp liver chip, smother it in butter, and drizzle with raw honey. You won't even taste the liver. Save this video if you like the idea. Here's how to make beef liver taste like candy. Well, why don't you just eat the butter and the honey, fry you up the liver with some onions, and eat it like a real person? <laughs> I don't understand why. Let's make it into candy. Here, kids. Happy Halloween. You give some Appalachian kids some dried liver candy on Halloween? You're asking for some eggs and some toilet papers to make a visit. Is that real? That's real. So, 
The beef liver phenomenon, that's what I'm calling it from now on, is a real thing. There are tons of people who are promoting beef liver candy, eating raw beef liver, freeze drying and packing, you know, the veggie capsules like you get full of vitamins, packing those full of freeze dried beef liver and taking, you know, two or three a day. Why don't they just do it right in front of with some onions? I asked again and nobody answered. <laughs> I don't even like liver. Well, I mean, oh, so, so you'd be a pill uh, capsule candy liver eating person. No. I don't understand it. it. It's one of the quote, and this is not my, not me speaking. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's one of, it's a superfood. It's one of the most healthy things you could ever eat in the entire universe. Well, I mean, fried up with some onions. <laughs> I don't... Frying, it kills everything good in it, Mark. No, it don't. Um, it, it's rich in iron, and it does have stuff in it. It's good for you, but I'm not going to take it every day in a pill or eat it as a candy with my honey. Why would you ruin your honey? <laughs> Putting it on liver. Well... <laughs> The, it don't even taste like liver. <laughs> but I'm going to show everybody it really is. Watch. Ugh, ugh, that makes I, me... Now, the guy who eats liver raw, Liver King dude, he's just ripped and he's like 150 years old, but he's like the Hulk. That was proven to be a lie. He's getting sued because he led people to follow some, I guess what you're talking about, some kind of diet, eating raw liver and stuff. And he's getting sued because... Now he's admitted he did take steroids, and he said he didn't, and all that gain was from steroids. I mean, that's current news. Okay. I don't, I don't know the news, so I can't really speak to that. Well, I knew about this joker. Well, they're not only doing it with beef liver. They're doing it with um, their deer liver and their other yeah, chicken livers. You love chicken liver. I love fried chicken livers with onions. <laughs> Let's get it clear. And... And squirrel liver and, you know, all their wild game. So, the snout-to-tail thing, eating snout-to-tail, that is very in keeping with our culture and with how we live, too. But we cook it. But you're going to have to let Mamaw cook the snout or the tail when it gets on the extremes. <laughs> Mamaw's going to have to fry it before I'm touching it. Don't Here, I try some of this. It's crispy and it's got honey and butter on it. Ugh. No. I don't even like liver. Okay. I don't like it at all. I'm kind of craving it now, but not with honey and butter. It's, <laughs> I'm going to make you. The other thing people are doing is hiding liver in food. So they make spaghetti, they add liver to it. They make fried egg omelets with bacon and sausage or something. They add a tablespoonful of liver to that's it. How you get, that's how you This don't go on Instagram, does it? I don't have to be censored, right? Yeah. That's how you get slapped. <laughs> down here you put something like that in I, 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 here's some ravioli honey and and you eat it and all of a sudden later on it's like ha ha you ate deer liver you would kill me <laughs> yeah i would i wouldn't slap you but i would i would be not eating anything else you cooked I can remember when I was little, and one of the reasons that I don't like this idea that people are doing where they're hiding the liver, my mom used to hide deer meat. <laughs> and the reason she had to do it, you know, is because 
1989-90. That's all we had to eat was deer meat, squirrel. And the princess of the compound was tired of that. And the princess of the compound, 18 months, three meals a day, you get tired You're of it. You're still tired of it. I still won't eat venison at all. And I don't like wild turkey. And I don't, I don't mind, I love fish. But I don't, I just don't prefer those things. If I was starving to death, I would eat them. I doubt it. I totally would. But after that, mom hid. That just don't seem right. You know, it's, that's a crooked, I don't like that. It's dishonest. Right. If It's, dis- it's like seeing a box of Krispy Kreme donuts in the break room. You go in there and open up, somebody's put in broccoli things. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be mad. Yeah. Well, I don't like the idea of hiding the food. I feel like no. if you want to introduce a food to your kids, Introduce the food. If they don't like it, tell them to try one bite, you know, and then do it again in a week or so until they either develop a taste for it or it's clear that they don't like it. And it's okay they don't like it. But you know what? Ours grew up loving broccoli and cabbage and stuff, Brussels sprouts done right. Kids, you know, turn their nose up at that. And they love liver, too. Oh, yeah. And they love venison. Holland loved liver when she was a baby. Yeah, a tiny. That was one of the first meats that we fed her soft yeah fried up with onions fried up with onions she still loves it and soup beans and cornbread and all of the homestead normal foods but you didn't sneak it in and i don't know yeah it's the it's the covering it up for me first of all if you're gonna eat it eat it because you enjoy it and if you don't enjoy it don't eat it and if you had to put butter and honey on it to tolerate it, yeah, that's you're just going a little bit too too extreme for the social media, I think. Right. I feel like it's a social media fad. Yeah. A lot of things that are currently hot topics on Instagram are social media fads. Speaking of that, I have another one. So, people are obsessed with natural health. Which has always been our way of life. That's fine. It's always been our way of life. However, they are now doing things like going out to the coop, getting a raw egg, breaking the egg, taking the yolk out, scrambling it a little bit in with some water in a bowl, and dipping their baby's socks into the egg wash, and then putting them on their feverish child to break a fever. Wait a second. Hold up. You said they separated the yolk from it? Yep. And they're dipping their socks in the whites? Yes. The raw egg whites? Yes. And then they're putting the socks on the baby? Yep. Don't a lot of babies, like, touch their feet and put their toes in their mouth and stuff? Wouldn't that be raw egg they're possibly exposed to? Plus, why would... What, what, well, fresh, did I miss it? Did I zone out? What's the purpose of this? It's to break a fever. But fresh raw eggs are generally safe. I wouldn't give a fresh raw egg to a baby, but some people do. Okay. But this is to break a fever. To make the socks cool when they put them on their feet? Yeah. Why wouldn't you just run them under some cool water? Or, or give the baby a warm bath. I don't, you know, you're the mommy part. I'm just talking about the socks and the eggs. And then I want to know who's going to clean up these eggy socks and where they're going to be washed because they're going to get in hot water and they're going to get in your washer. (laughs) And 
Somebody didn't think this through. They leave them on till they dry. Okay, they're dry, and then they wash them, and it's fine, but it just don't seem right. Well, it just seems wasteful to me. I don't care if you waste an egg, but... I do. I care if you waste that food. One egg, if you had a good purpose for it, this ain't a good purpose. Why? I mean, I don't understand that at all. It just seems kind of, I don't know. It's strange. Yeah, yeah. So another fad on Instagram, which is, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna tell you what the fad is, and then I'll let you decide whether you think, and then I'll tell you what I think. So another one that I saw was to put Epsom salt in a tube sock and heat it in the microwave, and then put it, hold it to your ear for an earache. Well, I'm sure something warm would probably feel good to some earaches, whether it was a heated up bean bag, you know, those things we have, or a warm compress somehow. So I can see how heat would help. What is the salt supposed to do? Is it supposed to be drawing moisture or something out? So. Or holding the heat? The premise is that it will draw the infection out, but it's not actually in your ear. So I'm with you. I think the, the hot compress is the active ingredient here, not the Epsom salt. Yeah, that sounds comfortable if you had an earache. That might help the warmth from some source. Right. I don't know. If this salt were to, you said put it in a microwave and then warm it, maybe the salt holds heat well. I don't know. We have those homemade little bean bags with field corn in it that you put those in a microwave and those hold heat very well. But, you know, maybe the salt does the same thing. They don't know about field corn. I don't know. Right. So I think that that one was a good one, although there are several other things that you could do for an earache. But warmth on the, if you had a real bad earache, you know, the warmth would probably feel good. What do you think mom, my mom's cure for an earache would be? Drink some vinegar. Or? Pour some vinegar in your ear. Put vinegar in your ear. Or let somebody pee in your ear. You really want oh, yeah. Now that's, that's granny <laughs> oh, yeah? and mamaws now and your mom. Nobody peeing in my ear, but. You got an earache pee in your ear. Did, uh. <laughs> <laughs> you got a sty in your eye. Pee in your eye? Pee in your eye. Okay. No, no, not pee in your eye. I thought you went to the fork of the road. You go to the fork of the road and pee. And then the next person who passes by will pick up your sty. Well, that don't seem right. That's how you get rid of it. You remember when I had the sty in my eye? I remember you making me stop there. Didn't have a sign no more either, did I? I ain't never seen nobody piece the fast in my life. I'll get back in a truck. <laughs> but do I? did I keep the sty or was it gone by the time we got home? I don't know if it's gone that fast, but it's gone pretty quick. Yeah. It was gone really quickly. So, I don't know. I had to thought about what we're talking about, but I've already lost it. This is, I don't know. I'm still thinking about eggy socks. So when I asked mom about the egg socks, she said you're just as you just as soon to eat the egg as you for the fever as you would to put them on your sock. Oh, I remember y'all talking that nonsense when we was driving in the van that day. I remember this now. Yes. Yes. Okay, now for some real herbal wisdom. <laughs> Mark has eczema. I'm not all that certain you know what that is, Doc, but if you say so. It's eczema. I'm certain I know what it is. And he has struggled 
bitterly with this one particular spot on his leg of eczema for a long time. And for a long time, I have tried to convince him to use the salve that Aunt Annie used for eczema. And the other day, how did you come about just deciding randomly that you would just give it a whirl after 55 years of not? Well, it was longer than the other day. <laughs> it's been a while. I know you're not very good with time. Uh, you said, here, try this. And I tried it, and it helped. It helped more at first than it has the last couple times because the deeper in the winter and the colder it was last week, that seemed to have something to do with it. it oh, yeah. The drier it is, even though we have a humidifier and all this other stuff, the drier it is, the worse it is. The one on my right leg is always bad when it's dry, but the drier it is, I have one on the exact opposite leg, same spot, but it only comes out when it's re really bad, like last week. Right, and you put the Asnea, Yarrow yeah, Asnea salve on it. The first time, when, it, when it's not as bad weather-wise, it knocks it out for several days. Just one time. Last week, it took a couple applications, but it, yeah, it helped. Right, and you really should be putting it on. Forever, every day, no. every four hours. <laughs> but you should be putting it on at least twice every day, a good amount. I'm not a lotion-y kind of guy. I don't like the feeling. Well, but it helps, doesn't it? Sometimes, yeah. Imagine, listen to the dog snoring. <laughs> Poor brown bear. She said, you guys gave me some herbal medicine and I'm doing a seep. She's, yeah, she has had one. So we gave her a, a CBD chew. It's got chamomile and catnip and something else in it. Too. It, it was chamomile, lemon balm, tryptophan. Those don't have CDB in them. You thought you bought that, but that's not what that was. Oh. It's got tryptophan in it. Tryptophan. Melatonin. It's got melatonin in it. Good night, <laughs> brown bear. It's got melatonin. That's why they're so well behaved. They're passed out. You can knock them out. We promised the audience they would hear little clicking toes on the floor. We're going to do a podcast. I said, all right, break out the puppy volume. <laughs> Speaking of. This one's of. eyes rolling back in her head. We're going to get to Narcan, puppy Narcan. <laughs> oh, Poor puppy. So speaking of more herbal remedies, do you remember when I went outside and grabbed when I drove Brooklyn's heart through the roof, her heart rate through the roof? I remember you telling me about it, but not necessarily, no. I went out and grabbed catnip. You said catnip, but it's actually lemon balm that's in these puppy things. It's catnip on a label. Is it catnip on the label? Also, yeah. Okay. Well, catnip and lemon balm are calming nervines. And if you're having anxiety or a rapid heart rate that is associated with maybe having just a tad too much caffeine or eating spicy food, you could chew four or five leaves of one or the other or two of lemon balm and two of catnip. And that would, that would help. Okay. Catnip seems to help you sometimes. So catnip does help me a lot. I use catnip tincture on the regular for my anxiety. So these puppy calming chews, I want, first of all, we are not sponsored by these. No, you're just talking about the herb, not the product. Yeah, I'm just talking to you about the herbs. These puppy calming chews have 
chamomile, passion flower, which is another fantastic calming nerving, ginger, tryptophan, and melatonin. Passion flower will put you in bed if you take it does not matter what time of day. If I had a cup of passion flower tea with you know just a teaspoon into the eight ounces of boiling water, I would be saying good night and be going to bed. Each one of these has 25 milligrams of passion flower. Yeah, that's what's doing it. And a hundred of chamomile. The chamomile and passion flower combination. And if and if you guys have anxiety, or if you're having insomnia, chamomile and passion flower together at bedtime about 45 minutes before you're actually going to lay down. Drink a cup of chamomile passion flower tea. You will sleep that night. I promise. And now, let's move on to talk about the Compound Club. We have a few upcoming workshops and special things that we're doing with the Compound Club via live Zoom or um, our Discord channel. And one of those is going to be canning, pressure canning, because we have a bunch of meat we need to put up, venison. Another will be putting potatoes up because we have a bunch of potatoes that we need to put up before it's time to plant potatoes again. <laughs> and then another one that we're going to do is going to be on gardening and seed starting. If you would like to join the Compound Club, you can do that via our website. It's AppalachianHomestead.org. And then you'll click the button that says join the Compound Club. All of the details are there for what's included talk about seed starting because it's getting ready to happen. What's the number one thing that people need to know before they start seeds? Mark? Better know what zone they're in and how they're going to care for these seeds. I guess. I don't know. What do you think I would say would be the number one thing that people had better know before they start seeds? Have you went out and stared at the moon in the middle of the night yet? <laughs> You better know what sign it is in before you start those seeds because if you start seed in the wrong sign, it will not germinate as well. You will have far fewer plants, and even if it does germinate, the production will be much lower than if you had planted in a good sign. Fact. Fact. Do you, did your, your mama did signs too. I'll, everybody we know. What did you just say? Your mama, she did the sign. Was she, her question in your voice? <laughs> what the heck? Oh my God! What do you? Never mind. Yeah. She was a court. She might have heard of it, I guess. <laughs> and your mom and dad go by the signs. They try to. Does your wife go by the signs? Yeah, sometimes when she's thinking straight. <laughs> One time, I was in the greenhouse. And I can, this, this is like one of those core memories from childhood. I was in the greenhouse and I was supposed to be packing the cell packs full of seed starting mix. And because we were going to sow seeds the next day when the signs got right. And this was the evening. How, how long ago was this? When I was little, probably 10. Oh, that's back when things were still in black and white, isn't it? Yeah, my, my memory's in black and white of it too. That's what I figured. So, it was evening. I was supposed to start 
not start the seeds. I was supposed to pack the seed, the, the packs, the sale packs that you sow the seeds in to get the seeds going. And I mixed the seed starting mix with water and I packed it into the cells. And then being myself, and Mark will attest to this, I'm... Wait, wait. Did you get distracted? No, I didn't get distracted, but you know I'm a go-getter. Uh, so you overdid it. So what What do you think I did that got me in trouble? I don't know, but I bet you overdid something. Yeah, so I decided to get a head start on sowing the seeds. Oh, out of sign? Out of sign. I did. I can't remember how many I sowed. I bet y'all never financially recovered from that. <laughs> I don't think my tail recovered for a little while. <laughs> but financially, I think we did all right. <laughs> but that that's one of those core memories I will never forget. And in my adulthood, occasionally, I have been sassy and thought... Occasionally. <laughs> and thought that I would sow the seeds outside of signs. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm just going to go ahead and do it because I'm not in a good mood. And I, it's either that or I'm cutting my bangs. So, <laughs> you know, go ahead, honey. Here's some seeds. Just waste on thumb down. Yeah, I don't care. Now that I'm older, though, now that I'm going to be 40 in a week or two, I'm much more mature than I used to be, you know, back when I was like 35, 38, 38 39 and a half. Yeah. But I know better. Sometimes I don't always do better, but I do know better. And when I have sown seeds outside the signs, and I did do it as an experiment last year to show my followers, yeah. Yeah. when I've sown seeds outside the signs, Mamma was right. Mamma was very rarely wrong about anything. Well, she had done everything for years upon years back when it meant survival and not pictures for strangers to marvel at and say, oh, wow, great, and move on to something else. She did it because her family had to do that stuff to survive and prosper. Right. It meant something for her to pay attention and be aware and see what worked and what didn't work and what worked better. Right. She didn't have much money. Right. And it, we're talking about all our mammals. Both right. Our right. I'm talking about mine in particular, and I'm sure you're remembering yours in particular, but they did this so their kids had something to eat, had clothes to wear, and there wasn't frost inside the windows of the cabin as much as it was on the outside. Right. Right. So, although I've been sassy in my lifetime and sown seeds out of signs, I want to tell you from experience, and because now I've been living this life for 40 years in two, in two weeks' time, and Mark has been living this life for 55 years. Yeah, well, I told you, I'm from the city. Mamma <laughs> lived in the country down there by the compound, but I was from the city. But you were a gardening boy, and you were taught all these same things. I might not have paid as much attention as some people I know. I just did it. It was work. I was, you know, go do this, go do that. And I knew what was going on, and I listened, but I didn't retain it like you. Well, I think it was because it was, like, drilled into me. And plus, I think because, cause, I mean, you lived with your grandma. I was there a lot, and then as I got older... I stayed with her more and more, but, you know, I went to school in, in Norton. Right. So. But I lived literally in my grandparents' and great-grandparents' doorstep. Yeah. 
And my only escape from my parents was to walk around the garden beds and the, <laughs> the tilled soil there and the great great vines over here to get to the other place of the yard where everybody else lived. Right. And so it didn't matter where I went. My instruction was the same. It just came from a different mouth. Yeah. So I think that's, that's what it was. That and I genuinely, and I'm not saying you didn't, I loved my grandparents and my great-grandparents. And I hung on every word they said as though their words were life. So it didn't matter what they were saying. And I hung on it, and I think that's the reason that I did retain it the way that I have. That may be true, but I know that for a fact, uh, you're pretty well good at, or you're very well versed at retaining anything <laughs> now, and your grandparents ain't around. You retain stuff people said at you in a grocery store, or somebody said this on Instagram. It's just your, you have that ability and that desire and that drive. So you retained every bit of that, and... You still retain until this day, so. And yet, hi, puppies. I told you we're gonna finally hear some puppy dogs. And yet, at the same time, I'm very ADHD. As is, as That's is. What I was trying to say, but I was bumbling around my words. As is evidenced by the fact that this conversation has gone from seed starting to retaining things my grandparents said. But allow forty years of experience. Even if you won't listen to the nine generations that came before me and the dozens of generations that came before Mark, 40 years of just my experience is if you plant your seed outside the sign, it is not going to produce. It is not going to germinate as well. And when it doesn't, that's food that is not on your family table. And yes, Kroger exists. But have you looked at the price of groceries lately? Have you? I haven't because I haven't been to the store, but other people go to the store with regularity. Just remember that when you don't sow your seed in the right sign, you're taking food off your table. And if you don't take anything else away from this podcast, take that advice away from the away from this. What What I think is funny how people will they'll do it if it's. They'll do it if they don't know it, but they'll almost make a conscious effort not to do it that way, just to prove you wrong or prove the signs wrong. Well, do it whenever you want to do it. You'll be hit and miss. Some were in the signs, and they did better. Some were not, and they did worse. Do it how you want to do it. We just know what works and what works for us. If you want to do it some other way, more power to you. Right. And we do include, in the Compound Club, we include a monthly calendar. And the reason that we do that is because the Farmer's Almanac, unfortunately, and Llewellyn's Moon Sign Book, and there's dozens, are wrong. And they're wrong because they use a math formula. Yeah, and we're not saying they're wrong. How dare you use those? We don't like this, what they're preaching. Because the rest of the information in those little booklets are... It's pretty good. Not and entertaining. But their calculations are wrong on the signs and and that's just it just throws you off right and the reason their calculations are wrong is twofold one is they account for precession and it's important that you remember that your ancestors 
didn't know about precession. They went outside, they looked up, they saw the moon, they saw what constellation it was in, they knew what sign it was in, and they acted based on what their eyes told them. They didn't have a math formula to say, well, it has moved point, how much does Marcus, <laughs> it has moved point two three meters out of its normal spot since 25 years ago. They didn't do that. They use their eyes. The other reason that it's off is because they use a math formula. They account a certain number of hours per sign, but it doesn't really work that way. They also account for, or they also treat it as though the moon hopscotches from one side to the other, sign to the other. And that also doesn't happen because we all know that the moon has an orbit. And it's not always in a constellation. There are those Mossau hours where it's journeying between two places. It left Leo and it's almost to Virgo. What do you say? What hours? Are, what are they called again? I've heard you say it before. The Mossau hours. Mossau? What does that mean? That's a Hebrew word. And it literally means to break camp and journey. So you're taking up the stakes. I know, it, I know what it means practically. It's left this one. Uh-huh. It's not quite in this one. There's a space between it. Yes. So that, that makes sense. It's journeying from one, one to sign one. to the other. And that, so the almanac doesn't take that into account sometimes, and you might be a day or two off. And let me tell you, you're a day or two off sometimes. You're, this didn't make or that didn't make, but I'm thinking of kraut in particular. Yes. You know? Yes. Because kraut seems to be the standard high mark <laughs> that the signs are obligated to every time. Yes. Some other stuff might be okay, might have been better, might... Kraut just won't make. No. It will either rot or you will have cabbage in salt water. Right. But when it does make, because you did it in the sign, it'll stay sh shelf-stable for a long time. That's another thing. But if, but if you did it two days before or two days after when you did, it's, it's rotted in three weeks. It's crazy. It is. And I've seen it where it will make but be brown because yeah. you got it in the wrong sign, but it wasn't the bowels. Right. If you make kraut, since we're talking about signs, we'll move on from the garden to this. If you make kraut when the signs are below the heart, it will either be brown because it's in, it's below the heart. It will rot if it's in the bowels. Or it will simply not make in some signs. And this is 40 and 55 years plus 10 generations of experience telling you that. Now, you said something that I wanted to pop over to. And we'll leave now the signs and we'll talk about that again next podcast. But Mark was talking about our kraut being shelf stable. I did not know until 2020 when I joined Instagram, that there were people who thought that you had to refrigerate your kraut. What? Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're used to getting kraut from the Kroger's and you've got, you know. Right, but that's not, I'm talking about their homemade kraut and people are afraid of fermentation. So do they just make a couple jars of it at a time? Because how are you going to fill the refrigerator with all your kraut? Yeah, so they only make one, and they only, they do 
it only takes, they say, now I've never made kraut their way, so I can't speak to this. Everybody seems to only have a two-week ferment. Theirs goes longer than that, doesn't it? 40 days. I thought everything was, okay. So theirs only has like a two-week ferment, and then it goes straight into the refrigerator. And let me ask you this, oh wise one, does putting it in the refrigerator slow fermentation, does it, it stop stops it? it. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, it stops the ferment. So it's not quite done, and we're going to throw it in the refrigerator and treat it like it's meat that's going to go bad. Yes. That's odd. And that is odd because fermentation is the oldest method of food preservation to keep it from going bad. I mean, I can remember my mom still kept it in a crock. You didn't have jars. She had jars, but you hadn't got it out of that crock. You took that heavy rock off top and that lid, and you got you some fresh kraut, and you went inside, and she fried it up with some bacon grease and... Oh. Right, and that's the other thing, is there seems to be this thing where people are, they're making their kraut in a crock, and they're putting their kraut into jars, and then water bathing it. No, no, you don't. I hope I'm not having a, a elder moment here, but we don't heat kraut. No, <laughs> I mean, we sometimes will toss it with hot bacon grease to no, dress I'm talking it. About but we don't heat it to make it at all. In preparation to make it shelf, put it on the shelf, we don't heat it, no. No. No, we heat it when we cook it. If, if we cook it, sometimes we don't even cook it. Sometimes well, we eat it. i some raw kraut right now. But the other thing is people, since we're talking about kraut, this is going to be the kraut episode, they, so they make it entirely differently than we do. They are taking a knife and they're cutting or cabbage into shreds and then they're putting it in a bowl and they spoon over a certain depending on how much they have amount of canning salt and then they're like using a wooden mallet looking thing and like beating it you're mushing their crap now what what does your mom call that don't mush up your crap <laughs> she calls it bruising it Oh, yeah, and mushing. I don't know if mush is a word, but I grew up here and don't mush that kraut. No, our kraut is very crunchy. Oh, yeah. It's so good. I want kraut and beans tonight. But they're, like, bruising their kraut. Mm-hmm, and there's certain ways you can cut it, and we've used different shredders and mandolin settings and stuff, and at times it's like, well, hold on, that's, that's not doing right. It's bruising. Yeah. If you don't have a razor-sharp knife, you're going to bruise your kraut. If we use a mandolin. So not only after they cut it, they're mushing it with a, you said with a mallet? Did you, did yeah. You say they have a little wooden. Um, Why? It looks like a bell. They want it to be real soft and mushy when they eat it? I guess. And then there's people that put sugar in it. Who are these people? I don't know. I mean, it's people on Instagram, not people that we know in real life. Appalachians do it our way. Yeah. But I'm sure that that's somebody's cultural food with, a sweet kraut and a mushy kraut. Well, you but. know what? You have you have made stuff for me that I would think this needs to be cold, this needs to be sour, and all of a sudden it came out warm and it was savory and it was great. So I'm not saying that it don't suit their taste. Don't bring that stuff up in here. Right. It just, it, it blew my mind. It, it blows my mind that people are making mushy kraut. It blows my mind that they're making sweet kraut. It makes me sad that they don't know what real good kraut is. Yeah. I'm sad for them folks. And they're also, they're canning it. Some people are canning it. Other people are putting it into the refrigerator. Um, and, th and the most astounding part of it to me is the number of people who are just, in general, afraid of fermentation. 
Think of all the things we ferment. Right, but you know, it, 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 it was a shadow of it earlier when I said they put it in the refrigerator because they're treating it like raw meat. Right. And they're seeing it as something living. It's raw. It needs to be kept cold or it's going to... It is living. I know. But it's alive. It's not dead and But they're and afraid rotten. of it. Right. In a way that, like raw meat, we got to put... You better hurry and get that in the refrigerator. No, this, this needs to be decently warm. It needs to work. Your crowd's yes. got to work. Yes. And that, I think maybe that's their... They don't realize it specifically, but they see this in that same realm as it's raw meat, and it's got to be treated with... You better put some gloves on, and you better... All that... It's kraut. My God, your whole body feels better, and you get more regular when you eat raw kraut and good kraut. Mm-hmm. Not, you know... There's people like Zach. He says, man, I eat it 200 times a week, even if I'm not craving it because it helps my body stay normal and regular. Yes. And it does. Yes. Well, people are not just afraid of kraut or mixed pickles. People, when I say pickled beans, do you know what they think I'm talking about? Dilly beans. What's that? I think it's some type of Yankee thing because it's like dill pickled green beans. No. No, I love dill pickles, and I love green beans, but don't be mixing that up. Now, you can pickle beans, and we have pickles. Ferment. You can ferment beans, yes, but it's not dill. Right. Now, I love dill. I don't, it's, that's not the same thing. Right. And so when I say pickled beans, people think I mean dilly beans. Mm-mm. And then when I say no, they're fermented, they say that's not pickled. Well, yes, it is. Yeah. That's it, the original pickling. That's pickling, honey. Yeah. And what you just mixed up and put in the refrigerator in a jar and call it two-hour pickles or something like that, that's pickling too. But Those that, are fridge pickles. Right, but that's the grandbaby of fermenting. Right, or great-grandbaby really. Yeah. Even. But fermentation is the oldest method of food preservation that there is. And people are afraid of it. And I think, you know, think about all the things we ferment. We ferment cauliflower and carrots and garlic and honey and you know ginger and honey and we ferment green beans and mixed pickles mixed pickles are my favorite and, and you didn't tell people the folks listening in what mixed pickles are mixed pickles to us is some cabbage some green beans some whole kernel corn hot pepper some hot pepper and all that is put in together in equal amounts or different amounts not as much hot right. pepper as everything else uh Maybe something else. My mama used to you put, can put green, cauliflower. My grandma, my mama used to put slices of green pepper in it a little bit. Uh huh. And that ferments, and oh lord, you get that out later and put that in a skillet with some bacon grease. Mmm. Right, and the other thing is, even if you're going to dress your ferments with bacon grease, don't he- don't have the eye on when you do it. You heat that bacon grease up to sizzling, and then you. Put your ferment in there, and then you toss it. Yeah, you're not. We fry it up, and then Mama would leave it on a little bit longer. Maybe yours did, but you didn't want to cook it into mush. You still want it to be crispy. You want it to be firm, as it is, as it come out, right, and you not gotta kill heat the up. ferment. Yeah, and you don't want like kilt lettuce either. You want it to be, you want it to be plenty warm, hot, but don't overcook it. Once right. you get it up to hot and toss it a couple times, turn that heat off, let it sit there. Right. That's what we call mixed pickles. But yes, that's what we call mixed pickles. But we also ferment drinks. I mean, think about, did your papa make wine? My papa made wine. We're not allowed to talk about that. And moonshine? 
We're not allowed to talk about that. Corn no. mash? Not, not allowed to talk about it, no. Yeah. And other fermented drinks, elderflower soda, fizzes to drink, you know, strawberry fizz, peach fizz, whatever fruit we had, ginger bug soda. Is that, I hate to bring this up since it's a mournful time, but that uh, living thing that was in that jar in the closet all them years, that was ferment, wasn't it? Yeah. That you used to make that nasty drink out of? Papaw scoby. Yeah. <laughs> what happened to Papaw Scoby, Mark? Somebody had it right in the way of where normal people would be doing normal daily activities and seemed like something was... Oh, I remember. I was having to get the dryer off the top of the washer all by myself and had no help, and it caught the edge of that big old jar that was not where it should have been, and it went in the floor, and that squid tried to get away, and it was just a scene. <laughs> Glass everywhere, maybe scoby squids or whatever they are. Which is reminiscent of the time that my shamrocks. That was just outside in some bucket. looked like a weed. I couldn't help that. <laughs> so Mark has a history of destruction of family heirlooms. <laughs> Not enough. I'm looking at the museum walls right now. <laughs> Luckily, Mom still had her own of the the lineage of the scoby that Papa brought, so I was able you, to get another one. And you've also distributed it to people worldwide, so we needed to. Yeah, if I if if I didn't, I could have asked Caitlin out at Fallen Oaks, and she would have sent me a baby from. I tried to keep it, but you were so heartbroken and mad. I just you know went on with it. <laughs> so that is a ferment, and and but we ferment so many things. When I just when you think about traditional Appalachian foods. There's just a ton of fermentation. And the mixed pickles are also called end-of-the-garden pickles because it was whatever was left. Mm -hmm. right the, the week of frost, whatever was left, as soon as the signs were right, if, if the signs weren't going to be right when you expected frost, you might make it a week or two ahead or three weeks ahead, but not much more than that. You would take all of everything that was in the garden and you would make mixed pickles with it because you wouldn't necessarily have enough to make a full canning of green beans or. And to be honest with you, I don't like fermented green beans just as well as I like when they're mixed with something else. It's just, that's just the way I was growing up on it. So even though my mom may have had enough, she was making it how I wanted it. Right, right. Mine did that too, but we also. That w that last little kick of the garden, it was like, oh, it's going to frost. Oh, yeah. we got to hurry up and get out and get had. it. And it wasn't even at the end. Sometimes she said, we got to use this. It's, I had to cut this, or that's coming in here. i got to use that. You, right. You know, it could have been right in the heat of the summer. Right. You never know. As long as the signs were right. And what's funny is you go to the these stores, and like Cracker Barrel or something, you know, every now and then we'll go into Cracker Barrel. Here's a little tiny jar of pickled corn. And I don't know what, I'm going to say 6 $7 or something. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. Mamma would have been a millionaire. Yes. You know? Yes. Because she would make five-gallon crocs of it. And my brother makes five-gallon crocs of it. And we eat it. And we eat it. I make... I don't do corn. My brother does all the corn. Oh, I love pickled corn. My brother oh, does all the corn. My. But we do. I mean, traditional Appalachian foods, you would rarely come to any mamma's house and not find at least one ferment on the table. Well, what was that? I call it cucumber salad. You, 
that's that's table pickles. Table pickles is really that made fresh and ate fresh right then. Mm-hmm. But it's in vinegar and some spice or something. It's in it? vinegar. It's not a ferment. That's not okay. No, which our and I'll leak this, but you can't have the whole recipe. Our ferment recipe does call for a small amount of vinegar. And that was their insurance for not getting getting botulism, I guess. I don't know. But I've been... I thought that's what made it sour. No, the fermentation makes it sour. Hmm. But I've been in the canning kitchen for 40 years. You've been in the canning kitchen for 55 years. No, I, I can't take credit for all that. I was in and out. I was outside a lot. I was a boy. Oh, well. I was a girl and I was in the canning kitchen, but have you ever known anybody who died of botulism? Oh, no. Have you ever heard of anybody dying of botulism? No. Not even really in the news. I, I don't hear nobody getting sick of eating fermentation. They feel better after they eat. Like, Lord, I ain't felt right in a while. Started <laughs> eating fermentation. After I ate y'all, after I had some of y'all's mixed pickles or some of that cabbage. Right. And they're like, I need some more of that on the regular. Right. Because they get their gut right. Yeah. And when they get their gut right, their body follows. But So fermentation is not something to be afraid of at all. It's something that I feel like everyone should know how to do. So as I was saying before, the puppy dogs went barky-bark. I think everyone should learn how to ferment because you're not always going to have access to um, electricity, for one thing. Or... Maybe eventually you would run out of gas, and not everyone has a canner that's rated for open fire the way that we do. And fermentation is a surefire way. So if you have salt, you have water, you have a little bit of vinegar, you can ferment and preserve your food. Yeah. And with that, we're going to do our final segment, which is going to be a recipe to share with you guys. And... Mark has chosen the recipe. Which recipe are we giving them? I like to have some table pickles. Okay, I'm going to tell them how to make table pickles. Okay. First step is to pick and wash a cucumber. Slice the cucumber very, very thinly. Did you say peel it? Sometimes we peel it and sometimes we don't. I prefer it peeled. Mark prefers it peels, peeled. So... Pick, wash, and peel a cucumber. Slice it very thinly. Clean an onion's outer hole off. Slice it very thinly. I'm saying as thin as you can possibly slice it. And it will not take a whole onion. It only take probably for just one regular size cucumber of six or eight inches, it would take one slice of onion. Because the rings are going to break up. Right, because the rings are going to be, you know, they're going to break up and spread out in your salad. And if you like, and Mark prefers it this way, a fresh tomato, mm-hmm. washed, cut the ends off, and then dice it up. You leave the skin on the tomato. And, you don't want to drink much of tomato. Right. You don't want it to turn into a tomato. Yeah. Right. So you would do one or two slices of tomato for one cucumber. And dice it up. And you dice it up. Mm. And then my preferred way to make it is to 
you to do it to taste. So I generally start with about a tablespoon of white vinegar, and then I sprinkle in a little sugar to my taste and a little salt to my taste. But you don't want it sweet. You want it to still be sour and a bite to it. The sugar is just to take the edge off, I guess. Yeah, the sugar takes away some of the tang without taking away all of the tang. Because it's not really sweet, but again, sometimes it is kind of savory and it. it's good. It's, it's very good. And it's you, very simple. you can add more or less vinegar. You can literally make this to your taste. And eat, make this and eat this fresh. Don't make it to save it for later. Don't think right. you're going to make it today and it's going to be great tomorrow evening too. Now, I don't serve it to you immediately. No, you got to chill it. You put it, you do this, then you put it into the refrigerator for about 45 minutes, an hour, up to, you know, three or four hours, up to a day. But I wouldn't leave it longer than a day because that onion would get very strong. And the cucumbers and tomatoes get soggy and mushy. Right. You want this to be a more fresh salad, but not the minute that you put the vinegar on it. It would be too sour. Oh, God, that would go good with some barbecue. It does go great with barbecue. Maybe get that sweet, get that vegetable. Maybe next time we'll tell you how to make brisket. Until then, this is Shallon and Mark. And Brown Bear. And Brown Bear. And Baby. And Bell Bell. And Noel. Saying we'll catch you next time. <laughs>